This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide, and we'll be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it is important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and let people talk about it in an open and safe way. In all of our discussions, we'll be conscious to use appropriate language. Your self-care is important, and listening to this podcast may raise issues for you, and if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. You can call QLife on 1800 184 527, the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the JOY website at joy.org.au slash let's talk. This Joy podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who have been bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wandery people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk, and I'm your host for this podcast. Also guiding you through each of our episodes are our two wonderful experts, Joe Ball, who is the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. They are also an LGBTIQA community leader, and use the pronouns they, them. And Dr. Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of support after suicide. We'll also hear from four brave people who we've talked to about their experience with a loved one who died by suicide. Bo, Lara, Peter and Alice. In this final episode, we are going to be talking about how you can remember and honour your loved one. For some people this can be difficult because maybe your relationship with the person who died wasn't the best at the time of death, or maybe because of the last conversation you had with that person. It can also be difficult because of the stigma around suicide. But we need to remember that someone is more than just how they died, and Peter says this so well. Des was more than his death. He was more than the way he died. He was a wonderful person. He was a wonderful man. He had 49 wonderful years here on earth. And yes, he took his own life, but I'm not going to feel guilty about that because he was more than just that. You know, he was a loving, caring, gentle man. 
He was handsome, <laughs> you know. Um, he was fun. Oh, he could give me the shits too at times, you know. Everyone can, you know. But he, he was a brother. He was an uncle. He was a husband. He was a son. He was a co-worker. He was, you know, he was a nurse. He was, he was all those things. And he was someone who suicided. Here's Louise. Peter's making an important point there. Sometimes with, with suicide, it's as if the way someone's died kind of defines their death and their life and the way they've lived. It kind of becomes the defining uh, moment or the defining experience. And it's really important to see the full picture, the whole picture of someone, who they were, how they lived, what they did, to give a really full and whole picture because they're not um, defined by their death. So I think um, Peter's made that point really well. It's it's really important. And Joe agrees. It can become a tagline as well. Like you say the person's name. Or you, you can hear pe- other people doing this. You can say you hear their name and then it's like, and they die by suicide, as if that's, that's the story. Yeah. And I think... Um, Something I have experienced over time with my staff member who who suicided is actually being able to talk about her and not say that has been really a part of remembering her and honouring her is to just actually just tell a funny story about something we did and not explain it to people, even people who don't actually know. Mm. Just say, because it's an important fabric of our workplace and our relationships and she played such an important role for like over six years. Just being able to talk about her and not using that tagline. Yeah, and that's not about avoiding um, that she took her own life. It's about appreciating and valuing her um, in a whole lot of ways that she uh, interacted with, with you, the ways that you experienced her, and it's just allowing that to be there without suicide becoming a definition of her. In the months and years after the death, people often want to feel connected to the person who died. But the way you remember them can feel more complicated after a death by suicide, as Louise explains. It's important that people feel that they are able to and have the permission to keep the memory of someone or the presence of someone in their lives if they want to. I think with suicide, that can be sometimes a bit complicated. Some people can experience the suicide as somehow reflecting on their relationship with the person. Does it mean that um, they didn't know I loved them or that they didn't love me? So those doubts can creep in about the quality of the relationship or the depth of the relationship. And so working through that over time is really important, I think, to getting a sense that a sort of ongoing sense of the value of someone in our lives can be developed and can then be maintained. It doesn't always happen, but for some people that the suicide is a kind of rupture to the relationship and that can take a little bit of time to work out. The other thing that can be complicated uh, with continuing the memory of someone, the sense of what people need at different points of time can be different. 
So, for instance, you know, it can be, you know, in a household, it might be that the someone wants the photos out and really gets a lot of comfort and solace from seeing photos. At the same time, someone else can find those photos really painful and they might need a break from seeing photos. So these are difficult things sometimes to negotiate when the timing, uh, where people are at and what they need can be quite different. Also, the, the, how the relationship was before the suicide can also impact how you remember that person and how you feel connected with that person as well. If there was some strain or tension in the relationship before, that can weigh quite heavily on someone, I think, after um, they've taken their own life. And so, again, it can take a while to sort of sort through that and to get, you know, a, a bigger picture of that person's life and also a longer-term view of the relationship that you might have had with the person. So if there were times of tension or difficulty or an argument before someone died, yeah, it can just take a bit of time to work through that and to see that, again, the quality of the relationship the value of the relationship isn't uh, summed up by those last few days or weeks or even months. Particularly when we know that some of the more prominent warning signs around suicide are about change in mood, withdrawal. These things don't always present, but they are dominant warning signs. So it is, you know, these are common things that people might have falling out, might not be around as much. These things. So I think that's important to keep in mind. And I think that plays into honouring as well as where people say, do I have a right to honour the person because they didn't like me, but they might be just reflecting on you know recent arguments or um, and may not feel like they have a say over how the person's life is honoured. It's complicated, I think. But I think what must remain is that your healing and recovery journey is, is still very important. And as you said, Louise, remembering the person who was, and going right back to that original comment by about Des, which is that people are not, they're not the last moments of their life. They're not even the last years of their life. They are all of that, as he puts it, 49 years. Yeah, it's a good point, Joe. that the lead up for, for some, the lead up to um, a person's suicide, sometimes their life uh, can be tumultuous. And that can cause issues in the relationship. So it's good to remember um, that that person may have been struggling and that that was what was affecting the relationships. For a lot of people, the last conversation or interaction they had with the person who died can impact on how they grieve for that person or how they connect with them and remember them. Something that happened that I experienced is that people talked about the last time they had spoken to her a lot and people put huge amounts of meanings on that the last conversation and people really delved into that that's completely understandable but I think it's also important to realize that you had many conversations with her um, or with the person who passed and also that um, when those conversations those last conversations as it turned out to be they may the person may not have been at that time even made a decision or a final decision to suicide. And sometimes I think we can just really read over and over again that those conversations, we put a lot of emphasis on them. And I guess I'm just putting that out there as a way of like, if you're there, 
putting lots of emphasis on those final conversations, try and have a think about all the conversations you had with them because I think that can be helpful. Yeah, the last conversation takes on an importance because of hindsight and looking back um, with the awareness that the person died. So that, that last conversation takes on a particular importance. But what you're saying there, Joe, is to look back and see all the conversations. Particularly if that last conversation was the person, it, w- it was an argument or, or something like that, I think it, it can you can then elevate that final conversation to being the truth. But it was actually just a moment in time. And that conversation, if the person had continued to live, would have just been one of many conversations. And I think if you can try and think about it that way, it can be really helpful to sort of shift a little bit. And also, if there hasn't been a last conversation, if there was a period of time where um, you weren't connected to the person, there might have been a hope that one day you would actually connect with this person again. There might have been the belief, actually, that you would be able to sort it out. You'd have the time. And that's difficult too. It's that really harsh awareness that there is now, um, not that opportunity, not that time to repair. And I think that can be difficult as well. You can honour someone and you can you can love someone even though the final moments were not as you would have wanted them to be, yeah. I think is what's I'm trying to get at with that. Because we put so much emphasis on the final time we saw them or the final conversation that we had with them, we can narrow the entirety of the relationship down to that conversation and say, if, for example, if they were quite harsh and said they didn't love you, that you think that that's the final, that they didn't love you, that that's the final say, but actually that was an argument. As as you would have, if you'd continued to have those conversations, you very much probably would have resolved things if you were close um, and things could have changed. Or if you hadn't spoken to them for a long time, in time you may well have spoken to them. And I think that's really complicated to get your head around that it is the final moment but it's not the final say because you continue to have the conversation in your own life without them there and you piece that together through all the shared memories that you have. And you can actually put together a story that is very important and is about honouring them as a complete person, not as the person who said one or two things in the final days of their life. I think what we're also trying to say too is that how that person was, what they said, how they acted, um, is very likely being affected by the state that they're in. And it's really important to remember that as well. In the previous episode, we talked about how you may want to have a second ceremony to honour the person, because you may not have been able to celebrate your loved one fully at the funeral. Having a second ceremony, or performing other rituals, can give you that opportunity to celebrate them, and give you the freedom to more truthfully honour their life. I think it's really important that you give yourself the permission, that's, what, that's the word I want to say, the permission to do what you need to do as, a, as an individual in a community to remember the person and, and, and that there can be many, many opportunities. And I think, you know, for example, when our staff member died, um, we made a ceremony out of packing up her desk 
because she left her desk the way, just the way she had had it. Um, obviously, as it turned out, she didn't pack anything up. And so we made a ceremony out of that because, yes, we could have just all just sort of thrown it into something, but actually it was a place where she spent a, a huge amount of time and her work was all through it and her handwriting and all those kind of things. And we actually invited people in who wouldn't normally come into that office space, including her father and people to to go through the desk. And a lot of it was quite mundane, like it was just notes about meetings or whatever. But the I think we all got heaps out of seeing her handwriting and her notes and and I think that's something you may not think about. And another example that comes to mind from another, you know, something else I experienced earlier in my life was when someone who'd been very involved in going in the gay scene and they had been a DJ and so their life very much was nightlife and performing at venues and when they died from suicide what people actually did was they took their ashes to the dance floor and they scattered them all over the dance floor and people just danced over them all night and people talked about how they felt like they found the person on the dance floor that night for the first time since they had died because that's where they really were rather than them being in a casket at a stuffy funeral where they were was at the dance floor. And I think that's that's what all this is about is you, you want to f- have a moment with that person and it doesn't it can be the funeral but often it's not. It's searching for, for really true moments that really speak to how someone lived their life, a sense of uh, like it fits with their identity and their expression and their personality. So things, um, ways to remember and honour someone um, are quite unique. And I think they can be very personal and intimate, like looking at someone's handwriting. But also they can be big, big moments too. And they can be something you do on your own or uh, with a group of people. In the field of grief... Like, I guess a lot through a lot of the 20th century, there was an idea that you needed to cut off from someone in order to uh, grieve properly. You needed to sort of prove that you could move on with your life and cut ties um, with the person who died. It sort of flowed from some of Freud's writings. But really, in the late 20th century and early 21st century, we've come to think very differently about it. And there's, uh, I guess, uh, a something we call continuing bonds. So that's really speaking to remaining in whatever way we want, um, connected with someone who's died. Someone can um, remain part of who we are. And, uh, you know, one of the sayings about that is that um, a person may die, but the relationship in a sense doesn't. You know, when someone's been really important and woven into the fabric of our lives they can remain part of who we are in so many different ways you know even um, talking to their photo asking for advice Mm. being inspired making decisions and thinking through what would what would this person want me to do what would they see as being important for me so it can be at that level and then it's also it's it's uh, photos, songs, music, all sorts of ways that uh, we can have a sense of an ongoing connection and also really acknowledging the importance of someone to us and the value that they have in our lives. And that actually doesn't need to stop. That can remain. And so, you know, keeping hold of jewellery, getting a tattoo, all sorts of ways that 
uh, we can keep someone with us or, or keep their memory going. I love that idea of people living on. It's definitely true to my own experience and, and feeling like reaching out and, and, and talking to her. Yeah, the influence of someone can remain in our lives. In this episode, we've talked generally about how people connect to and honour their loved one. So now let's hear from Alice, Peter, Bo, and Lara about how they connect and honour their loved one. And I think this is a really lovely way to end this podcast series. We volunteered at the same organisation. Um, so I did a lot of, um, I guess, got a lot of support around being able to still do that volunteering. And recently I've kind of been able to return to doing that and that's been a lovely way for me to feel like I'm like honouring her by continuing to do the work that we both cared about. Staying, staying connected with the other people who cared about her and being able to share stories about her has been the other big way that I feel like I stay connected to her. And I feel very um, kind of, I guess, privileged to be able to have those relationships with people. That's so interesting. So I did have this mixtape, and it's on a CD. She burnt it for me when we were dating. And when she died, I actually went and found each song and put it into Spotify. So I had a Spotify playlist as a more modern version of, like, my laptop doesn't even have a disk drive. So I was like, this is going to be hard to play the CD. Um, and I listened to it quite a bit, especially early on. Um, but it's quite a sad playlist. <laughs> Especially, like, when we were 19, she was into some pretty angsty indie music. And so it's not necessarily a playlist. It was actually quite good when I was feeling really sad. It's not necessarily music that I go back to and I'm, like, have a bop to. I guess I do a few things which are maybe, like, a bit sad. But um, I was thinking about the one-year anniversary that's coming coming up. And I listened to... So this is like a little bit stalkerish, but shortly after she died, I called her phone so I could record her voicemail message. So I have like a little 10 second recording of her voicemail message, which is obviously her voice. Um, so I listened to that recently just to like remind myself what she sounded like. Um, I know that sounds like a little bit weird, but it was not like, um, especially now, it doesn't feel like a really painful thing. I was glad that I could just hear her voice. Um, and like go back through some of the text messages that we um, sent and stuff like which is a different way of hearing her voice I guess Um, those sorts of like weird little things um, are also nice to do sometimes I did wear a lot of his things after he passed away I had his wedding ring I had my wedding ring um I wore his watches, I wore a ring that his father had made him because his father was a, um, a part-time kind of jeweler, ring maker thing, and all his stuff broke. I just couldn't believe it. I just kept breaking everything. Um, and the more I tried to be careful about things, the more they broke. I broke, all his watches broke. Even the ring that his father made him that I was wearing broke. And how does a ring break? But I broke it. He was telling me to not do that you know not to wear his things and to yeah to move on i've had his initials tattooed on my ring finger 
which isn't which isn't because it's not a ring, but it's a it's a tattoo of his initials, which you know. I mean, I'm, I know I'll never get married again, but yeah, that's that's how I kind of remind myself that we were married without wearing the ring. But then I had you know our wedding date tattooed on onto my arm, onto my upper arm, and stuff, and these those those things are attached to me now. I can't get rid of them. Um, I don't know. <laughs> there's the song. There's always something there to remind me, you know. <laughs> um, and there is. They're just, you know, I might not live in the same house anymore or anything like that, but, you know, there is always something there to remind me, you know. I just love him. <laughs> you know, and, the, 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 and, you know, I can't fall in, I can't, you can't fall in love with some with someone or something that's not there. The love I feel, or I I have or had for him, is how I feel. Is how I felt when we got married, because it's just been. It's, I've just had it cut off at the knees. That's all. Um, but I can't fall in. I can't fall more in love with him because he's not here. You know what I mean? Um, it's just not possible. You know. Yeah, he was the love of my life, I think. Well, actually, I know. Um, but I live a, a very different life now, and my life is very, very different. Um, and it all changed in an instant. Always feel connected to Jeff. Um, you know, whether you know, I hear his song on the radio or something like that and it gets me thinking and I feel like you know oh okay he's here and or whatever um and he comes everywhere with me anyway so I've got I think I've since losing Jeff I think I've moved out like about six or seven times to different places (laughs) I'm trying to find somewhere where I'll just settled and I can yeah um but his picture always comes with me so um he always sits on the side table and yeah, so I always, I do feel connected to him still. And I think I will always, yeah. He was somebody that was really special to me and I, and I loved him so much and he made me so happy. Um, but he also made me uh, a stronger person, a more confident person as well. And I often say that some things that I do to honor Jeff, I suppose I, you know, make his favorite cake or whatever and I don't know take it to work so everybody can enjoy it um and even I'll put a slice by the bedside table and you know eat it myself like five minutes later I used to this probably is a little bit maybe I don't know it's comforting to me I've still got a lot of his clothes here and I like wearing them like his favorite jacket I love wearing that and you know it's a nice jacket when people go, oh, that's a nice jacket. And I go, yeah, it was Jeff's. Just letting people know, you know, he's still with me. And um, and to also honour him. Because I think that's something that's real, really important to him. And I know, well, I know it would be really important to him. Is that he's not forgotten. That, you know, people still talk about him. and Because oh, that's the type of person he was. He was just like, hey, here I am, you know. So to honour him, I'd be, I'd say small things like that. You know, I might be wearing a piece of jewellery that, you know, he gave me or whatever. Um, there's actually a ring that he, he got me. And 
for a long time I was wearing that and you know I'll you know saying oh you know Jeff's with me today I'm wearing the ring he got me and I think I used to put it on my wedding finger as well even though we weren't married I'm just like oh. I just wanted to get something permanent so I would, and I know that I'm never going to forget him, but just so he knows that I'm not going to forget him, I, I decided to get a tattoo as well. So I got um, just on, on my arm here, because um, as I was, I was saying, how much he did for me um, and how he made me such a strong person. I got a tattoo on my arm here that reads, I am because you were. So, and you know, and people ask about something, oh, what does that say? And then they read it and go, oh, who was that? And I'll go, it's actually, you know, my partner, my partner, Jeff, you know. But I, I loved him very much. He was such a wonderful person. He was always making people laugh. Um, yeah. Everybody that knew him just said his personality was just larger than life. And I just think, yeah, I'm, I miss him a lot. So since Ingrid's death, um, I've become friends with her father. Um, we meet most months and have uh, lunch together. Um, and, yeah, it's a love, for me it's a lovely connection to her. They look quite similar. And when his face splits into laughter, it's like she's there with me for a split second. Um, so I really value that relationship that I've developed with him. However, I know for him it was confusing. Whereas I knew so much about him. Ingrid had spoken about him at length to me over the years. So sometimes I'll say something, a memory that she'll have told me. goes, she even told you that? So... Um, that's that's I, I find that quite quite funny um, because I'm he is so known to me. I think when it comes to honouring Ingrid, I'm really still very much trying to work that out. It's like this that I've been left with this very deep relationship, but it's this uh, this person isn't there to to do the back and forwards anymore. So it's it's that's hard. Um, but I definitely feel I definitely do still feel connected to her because I just love her so much, and she takes up a lot of um, time and space in my head. So um, I had an experience when I was in New Zealand where I was thinking about her a lot, and I was in these beautiful gardens, and I was just sitting and thinking of her. And I walked down to the train station to get on a train, and I noticed there was a book that was by the, the train that was old, and it, all the pages were coming out. So I. I walked past and then I thought, oh, no, I need to get it. So I walked back and picked up one of the pages of the book. Um, and I don't really believe in signs of the person, but it was a nice thing for myself to feel connected to her. And then I looked at the name of the book and it was a book that she would never read and wouldn't like at all. So that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, um, but I'm planning on blacking out parts of the parts of the page and making a poem with that page from that book um and thinking of her so as I do it um I also heard someone talk about that they write a letter every year to their person um and so I thought that was a really nice idea so I've started writing a letter to Ingrid 
um, about the last year. And I hope that I will do that every year um, on the anniversary, have it ready by the anniversary of her death. Um, but there's things that I'd like to go, places that I'd like to go that I've been avoiding, cafes that she loved, that I hope in the future when the time's right I'll be able to go and sit down and order a coffee and think of her in those places and spaces. Um, yeah, work in progress. This is the final episode in the Let's Talk About Suicide series. We sincerely hope that it has helped you at least a little bit through this enormously difficult time for you and the people around you. Hopefully you've come to understand suicide a bit better, and by doing so have come to terms with things a little bit more. You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash let's talk, or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the courageous people who have shared their own stories. A final and huge thanks to our amazing experts, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria and Dr. Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. This podcast would simply not have been possible without your expertise, passion and absolute commitment to suicide prevention. Also thanks to Joy 94.9, Melbourne's own independent voice for the diverse lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex communities, with a particular thanks to Jack Traynor, Dominic Helson, and Rachel Tyler-Jones. And lastly, and the biggest thanks to the people who shared their lived experience with you, Alice, Bo, Lara, and Peter. You're all very brave people with enormous hearts and courage. I have no doubt that your stories will help others. Thank you. This has been a challenging project for me on a few different levels, not the least because the subject matter is so close to my heart, and I really appreciate you listening to the series. I would like to dedicate this podcast to the memory of Nick. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk. Editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and technical help from Jack Traynor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at letstalk@joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now, or in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. You can call QLife on 1800 184 527. The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash let's talk. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.